Welcome to Whores Talk Horror. We're not really whores. We just like wordplay. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Whores Talk Horror. I'm Sharon. I'm Melinda. And today we are going to be discussing um, some other hotels in the downtown LA area. Last week, we talked about the Cecil Hotel and its disturbing history of death, violence, and how people are drawn to the darkness of the hotel, including some pretty evil people like serial killers Richard Ramirez and Jack Unterweger. So... I wanted to do some more research on some of the other hotels in the area to see if they shared any similar histories with the Cecil. And amazingly enough, I found that lots of other hotels in the downtown LA area also have their own seedy past filled violence, death, and ghost. So we're going to be discussing a few of those hotels and their histories in this episode. Um, Before we discuss our sources, I wanted to read a quick email that one of our listeners sent. Mindy, are you ready for this? Ooh, I'm excited. Yes. (laughs) I don't know if you should get too excited yet. Wait until you hear this. Oh, shit. Okay. Okay. This is the beginning of the email. I'll tell you what my random thought was. I've not heard Mindy mention any significant other in any of the episodes. I'm not assuming she is single. She might be a private person. But if she is single, it's my fondest hope that she ends up with someone named Marcus or if she's a lesbian, not saying she is or isn't. But if she is, then she ends up with someone named Margaret. Why? You're probably wondering. Because I want her and her significant other to have a podcast called Mark and Mindy (laughs) or Marge and Mindy. I don't care what it's about. It's simple existence would delight me and bring me so much silly joy. (laughs) I like this guy. I do too. Oh my God. That's hilarious. Is his name Mark? (laughs) And he said, that's the nicest thing about being comedian level crazy. We're not dangerous just really fucking random. Oh, I love it. And I will, what, did he give a name, like a screen name or just a first name or? Um, I'm not going to give any names. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so to that writer, I just want you to know that when I was a baby and my mom still has them, I, these little, I have these little jelly sandals. I don't know if you're, how old you are, but when they, in the eighties and seventies, jelly shoes were like a big thing and they were Mork and Mindy. Uh, jelly sandals, baby sandals. For our younger listeners, Mork and Mindy was a TV show about a wacky alien that comes to Earth to study its residence and the life of human women. And it starred Robin Williams, the yes. the uh, amazing, funny, talented Robin Williams. And again, that's Mork, M-O-R-K, not yes. Mark. And this was a show from 1978 to 1982, so. Yes, that it was, I had little sandals that said Nanu Nanu, so we're halfway there, <laughs> but I love your idea, and thank you for writing in, because that truly made me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> so now, now you just have to find your Mork, or your Mark. Wouldn't it be funny if you actually met a guy named Mork? <laughs> <laughs> or that was like his nickname? I'm not going to say now. I'm going to keep... Now that this has been said, I'm going to keep it. Uh, I'm going to keep it quiet, private. I don't know what the word is I'm looking for, but I'm not going to say if I'm single or not. Now I'm going to keep everybody guessing. But I, <laughs> I love the thought, and thank you. And that is a hilariously awesome idea for a podcast. Sharon, if you're thinking of changing your name to Margaret, that might help. <laughs> All right. So, Mindy, do you want to read today's sources? So back to the creepy. <laughs> um, yes, the sources that this 
all the information we're about to throw at you comes from places like amyscript.com, and that's crypt as in C-R-Y-P-T. As opposed to what? (laughs) Well, I I feel like my enunciation is off today, so I want to... Sometimes it's hard to just understand words uh, when you just are hearing it. Uh, as in Tales from the Crypt. There you go. There you go. There you go. Um, the LA Weekly, uh, courthousenews.com, uh, hotelfigueroa.com, uh, California Digital Newspaper Collection, LA Curbed, and getawaytrips.azcentral.com. I don't know if I'm going to read this whole URL, but we'll post it. It's about Los An- the Alexandria Hotel in Los Angeles. Um, let's see. Coffee is this coffee? I, I coffee with Kaylee. Thank you, coffee with Kaylee. It's written oddly, and then uh, the deranged or not the deranged derangedlacrimes.com. So those are the sources that the following information will be coming from. All right, so the first hotel on our list is the Millennium Biltmore Hotel, which is about half a mile away from the Cecil. This hotel was home to fancy parties of the glamorous golden era. Eight Academy Award ceremonies have been held there. Presidents, gangsters, musicians, and storied people from all around the globe have also stayed there. So it should come as no surprise that this age-old hotel attracts the supernatural. And it was also the filming location for the famous ballroom scene in the 1984 movie Ghostbusters. Wait, weren't they supposed to be in New York in Ghostbusters? I know. Movie magic. Movie magic, they filmed a lot of the scenes in L.A. So, But I did not realize that that was even an actual hotel. I kind of assumed because of all the damage and destruction <laughs> in, in that scene that it was a soundstage. But I guess it was the actual Biltmore. So that's kind of cool. And the flowers are still standing. <laughs> Sorry. Go ahead. All right. So plenty more paranormal instances have helped the Millennium Biltmore Hotel build its haunted reputation. Both staff and visitors to the hotel have experienced phantom sounds of a party happening on the first floor. Other unexplainable noises, voices, orbs of light and sudden temperature drops, cold drafts, and also the feeling that an invisible presence is all around. It's no wonder why countless staff have refused and fear working late shifts at the hotel. The spirits of children have also been encountered within the Biltmore Hotel. Countless sightings of a little girl have been made, and many others have heard her footsteps hurriedly running along the corridors of floor nine, as well as disembodied playful giggling. Another more disturbing apparition of a child is rumored to occupy the roof of the hotel. Ooh. Uh, some reports exist of people who have seen the ghost of a little boy on the roof who has no facial features. That's creepy. I'm sorry. Is there anything more creepy than children ghosts? I think child ghosts, because they're naturally very playful and curious, they're almost kind of like poltergeists, even if they're not poltergeists. Well, and then if they turn around and have no face. (laughs) Yeah, I agree completely. Um, The most famous ghost of the Biltmore is probably that of my other white whale, uh, Elizabeth Short, aka the Black Dahlia. Shortly before her death in 1947, Elizabeth Short was sighted at the Millennium Biltmore Hotel's bar. This is one of the last places she was seen alive before entering the infamy of becoming the Black Dahlia murder. Elizabeth Short's body, of course, was later discovered, dumped on an empty lot of land, completely drained of blood, naked, mutilated, 
and cut completely in half by an incision dividing her torso. The murder captured the attention of the public and remains one of California's most recognized unsolved crimes and ignited Black Dahlia ghost stories with the Millennium Biltmore Hotel at the epicenter. Many reports of a lady with dark hair wearing a black dress in 1940s fashion have been seen at the hotel. She is usually seen on the 10th and 11th floors roaming through the lobby or riding the elevator to floor six before disappearing into thin air or walking through a wall. Ooh. One man claims to have rode the elevator with this lady in black only to see her disappear when they reached level six. He was shocked to pick up a true crime book in a store a few days later and recognize the ghost from the elevator as Elizabeth Short. I was reading through some Yelp reviews of the Biltmore and the hotel kind of sounds like a dump now. Uh, I'm sure back in its heyday, it was it was wonderful. Um, but yeah, it doesn't sound like they've really done much to improve the, the actual rooms. I guess the lobby and the bar area are still lovely. And um, I think the uh, the ballrooms are still kind of nice. But the rooms themselves, I've I was reading. They're just kind of like old and dilapidated and dirty and kind of gross and it's you know labeled as a five-star hotel and according to the reviews on Yelp it is definitely not but I would actually want to go there just to kind of walk around um but I would never stay at this place and here's a more recent story that took place at the Biltmore that actually sounds like it could be made into a lifetime movie Ooh, do tell so A more recent mysterious death that took place at the Biltmore happened on the night of October 23, 2010, when 48-year-old Laura Finley from Alta Loma, California, died tragically when she fell six stories down a stairwell. County Coroner's Assistant Chief Ed Winter told Ellie Weekly, We don't know if she fell, if she was pushed or what. It was reported as an accident or a homicide. It's under investigation. Following Finley's death, the morning of the 23rd, the story took some strange twist. Her husband, Joe Finley, was allegedly under the influence of ecstasy that morning, and police arrested him on suspicion of possessing the drug. But not before he went on to perform an audition for America's Got Talent, who were set up at the hotel. (laughs) Shut up. I know, right? So your wife just dies under mysterious circumstances, and you go audition for America's Got Talent. On ecstasy? On ecstasy. (laughs) The cops are like, we have to talk to you. And you're like, hold up a second. I got to perform. Hold up, officers. I have to go sing Living on a Prayer for Howie Mandel first. I mean... I don't know what song he sang, but seriously, I know that if something happened to Spencer and he died, I would be so distraught that I wouldn't even be able to talk, let alone go perform. And I did watch a couple of videos where he defended his choice to go actually go through with the audition. And his defense was basically that his wife was the person who encouraged him to go audition in the first place so he was doing it for her because it's what she would have wanted him to do and at the end of the audition he broke down and cried but I think it's in super bad taste and I think it's super suspicious so for obvious reasons he was a person of interest. A man who claimed to be Joe Finley's uncle was quoted as saying how dare someone say my nephew was on drugs as far as I know he wasn't. How the fuck would he know? Was he there that night? Like, all right. 
that comment aside, which is just ridiculous, he also said that they were a loving couple. But according to a TMZ report, Joe Finley actually admitted to being on ecstasy. He reportedly said that his wife dropped E2. And he also said someone pushed his wife. It was not, quote, an accident. According to TMZ, somebody threw her off that railing. A wrongful death lawsuit was filed by Joe Finley against the Biltmore Hotel. He alleged the hotel destroyed evidence to cover up the slaying of his wife. His claims, or sorry, he claims his wife was beaten to death inside the Millennium Biltmore Hotel because of the luxury hotel's shoddy security. Despite his late wife's multiple wounds, he said, the Biltmore falsely told police that there were no signs of foul play. The Biltmore's 683 guest rooms were booked at or near capacity the night his wife was killed, Finley said. But its security was inadequate, particularly because the hotel was remodeling its first and second floors, which had become crash pads for transients. He claims that the Biltmore knew of the trespassers and other serious crimes against hotel guests and their property, including, but not limited to, assaults with deadly weapons, thefts, and other disturbances by transients and other uninvited third parties. Sometime during their first night at the Biltmore, Finley said his wife locked herself outside of the room. In the morning, the Biltmore security officer found her body at the bottom of a staircase. She was naked from the waist up, wearing only pants, which were inside out, and her diamond rings were missing. Finley said his wife died due to multiple blunt force injuries that include a one-inch laceration on the top of her head and a a three-and-a-half-inch laceration on the side of her head, as reported by the Los Angeles Coroner's Office autopsy report. He said she also suffered defensive wounds. Finley said his wife was murdered by a transient or an uninvited third party who gained access to the Biltmore Hotel through the unsecured door on the first floor, which was near where Laura Finley's body was found. He said it was obvious that she was a victim of a crime, but Biltmore Hotel security incorrectly reported to police dispatch that there was no signs of foul play. Finley and the three children he had with his wife demanded damages for wrongful death and negligence. The case was eventually dismissed. So they never, I mean, he was never convicted of it. The Biltmore, they, you know, basically, I guess, won the lawsuit since the case was dismissed. So they never found out what happened to her, which is really sad. And honestly, it could have been with that many people at the hotel that night, it could have been almost anyone. And honestly, it could have been him too. Oddly enough, a few years later, it turns out that this guy's name was Michael Peterson. (laughs) Sorry. For those of you who don't know, I sort of have an obsession with the staircase and I can't stand Michael Peterson. That's where all these jokes are coming from. But it is very sad that this woman died. And that is really weird. You're right. It probably was. I mean, if they had transients coming in and out, it's so hard to be like, I don't know what happened. Like, I guess it could have been her husband as well. I mean, if he was on drugs, maybe they got into a fight. Maybe, I mean, it could have been an accident too. Who knows? I, 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 there's not many more details about the case other than what I read you. So I don't know. She could have suffered lacerations, falling and maybe hitting her head against the railing or, you know, trying to grab railings of going down the stairs. Maybe it looked like defensive wounds. I don't know. Or an owl got into the building and <laughs> got into the hotel. I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop. I promise. And no hotel security cameras anywhere that captured anything. 
Hmm. I don't know. I don't think we're going to be staying in any L.A. hotels anytime soon. Definitely not. Well, for for m- many reasons, we're not going to be. But like, aside from the whole quarantine thing, I don't know that. I think Airbnb is the way to go. Like we did last time. So that is all that I have about the the Biltmore Hotel, Mindy. What is the next hotel that we're going to be talking about? So the next hotel is the Hotel Figueroa, which uh, is about one point five miles away from the Cecil. This hotel was unique for its time. The Figueroa was the largest commercial building funded by women for women when it opened in 1926 by the YWCA as a safe haven for solo female travelers, Rad, who were prohibited from checking into most hotels without a male chaperone, not Rad. What the fuck? Yeah, right? Well, it's 1926, Sharon. Come on, of course, that's how it was. Uh <laughs> Hotel Figueroa gave women the freedom to live uninhibited lives among other like-minded women. I'm loving this. And the paradise of feminine energy attracted professional women from all over the world, turning the coffee shop and salons into diverse and intellectual women's collectives that produced powerful art and activism alike. I'm in love. The hotel, somehow I feel like this is going to go badly, but I like it so far. (laughs) Otherwise, we wouldn't be talking about it. (laughs) The hotel fully embraced its social conscience, holding press conferences and political rallies against sexism, racism, and other social... (laughs) And other social... God damn it. (laughs) And other... Are you trying to say inches? Yes. (laughs) Social inches. And other social issues. There we go. Within the walls of Hotel Figueroa, progress was possible. Oh, only to dream. Today, when you step inside, you'll be greeted by a giant red portrait of a woman on a motorcycle. Her name was Maud Bolden. She raced motorcycles, flew airplanes, and was the hotel's original manager in 1926. It's actually a really cool painting. We will post a picture of it on our Instagram, so look for that. In 1930, the hotel opened its doors to all sexes, and the whole place went to shit. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) But not just kidding. I was going to say, (laughs) JK, but not really. Um, It is said that the current management doesn't like to talk about any strange happenings at the hotel, not even the common and probably explainable ones, such as strange sounds, televisions turning on and off themselves, and elevators running on their own. And definitely not the nasty murder that took place in April of 1950. No, we don't talk about that. <laughs> what nasty murder that took place in April 1950. All right. So Haley Cecilia Oswald's naked body was found with two messages scrawled across her chest and back in a bottle littered hotel room of the Figueroa. A 50 year old waiter, Harry Gordon, was questioned about the death of the red haired divorcee. Police waited for Gordon to come out of an alcoholic stupor before asking him about the 10 days he spent in the hotel room with Mrs. Oswald. Holy shit. So coroner's surgeon Frederick D. Newbar said alcoholism was the probable cause of Cecilia's death and he refused to sign a death certificate pending further examination of her body. Police picked up Gordon after a traffic accident. So obviously he was driving drunk. They picked him up. And they had to wait for him to 
uh, come out of his post-alcoholic stupor before they were able to question him. So he should not have been driving. Don't drink and drive, people. That's my PSA for the day. And I don't want to say that this is like a goal of mine or anything, but I don't think I've ever been drunk for 10 days straight. So, like, <laughs> not that that's a bar that anyone should try and reach, but holy shit, dude. Hashtag quarantine goals. <laughs> <laughs> okay, anyway, hey, back to right. the story, sure. All right, so the waiter was in a post-alcoholic stupor, they said, and was taken to the General Hospital Psychopathic Ward, or psychopathic, as Spencer would say. No, 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 psychopathic is correct here. <laughs> Throwback to many episodes ago. Yeah. <laughs> to be fair, in those days, they probably would have been the, they probably would have just had the crazy ward. Let's probably. be honest. The loony bin. The, yeah, ah, there something you go. more like that. All right, so Gordon and the woman registered at the hotel March 26 as Mr. and Mrs. M.M. Gordon Stockton. Hotel housekeeper Jean Buick... I'm going to say, sure. who found the body, said Gordon was at the hotel as late as Tuesday. Written across Mrs. Oswald's body were two cryptic messages in red ink. The one across her chest read, I had to do it. It's for the best. On her back was written, you have, just you have. Um, police were unable to decipher other words written on her body. Mrs. Oswald had been working at a downtown cafe as a waitress. Her former husband, Robert, said that he once committed her to General Hospital in an attempt to cure her alcoholism. Harry Gordon, who was her deranged, regular, heavy drinking buddy, later confessed, I killed her. I killed her because I loved her. Oh my God, Sharon Spencer, you guys need to self-quarantine. <laughs> Um, what the fuck are you trying to say? Are you accusing me of being an alcoholic or are you accusing <laughs> Spencer of being a killer? I didn't even think that or far you. ahead. <laughs> you what? I didn't even think that far ahead. I was just the, I loved her. I killed her cause I loved her. That was all I focused on. I didn't oh, think about the oh. others. Well, that was sweet then. You're just saying that we love each other so much that we might kill, kill each, each other. other. <laughs> also, maybe take the alcoholic part as a consideration. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Go fuck yourself. <laughs> take that as a consideration, Mindy. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. So just to confirm, this was he, Harry Gordon was a waiter, but he wasn't a waiter at the hotel. They were staying. No, at the hotel. they were friends. They were like drinking buddies together, and they mm. checked into this hotel together. And somewhere in possibly a drunken stupor, he murdered her because he loved her. Maybe she resisted advances from him because she didn't feel that way towards him, and so he killed her because he had to. I'm speculating here. Uh, we don't know the details, um, but yeah. Got it. But the moral of this whole episode is LA is fucked up, y'all. <laughs> stay home or stay in an Airbnb. I think Airbnbs are probably, in general, much safer than hotels. Let's get back to the Figueroa, the Hotel Figueroa. Even more famous in its day was the earlier drama of William L. Tallman, a ship radio operator who stayed at the Figueroa Hotel before meeting and killing his lover, Virginia Patty. 26-year-old Virginia was the wife of a Portland, Oregon banker. She fought and died in silence on June 4, 1929, in the bachelor apartment of one W.C. Johnson. Her body was found in a closet, held upright between two hooks by a silk scarf. 
She had been dead only a short time by the time the police arrived. She had been beaten to death by a brick. Oh, my God. The bruised condition of her hands indicated that she battled with whoever killed her. Help was available in the next apartment, but investigators believe she refrained from crying out because she feared disclosure of her romance more than death. That is so sad, but not unexpected for the time period, I guess. H.L. Barlow, fingerprint expert of the L.A. Police Department, identified bloody fingerprints on the wall of the closet in which the body of Mrs. Patty was found as having been made by William L. Tallman. Barlow compared the wall prints with fingerprints of Tallman that he received from Marine Corps headquarters in Washington. They are, he said, quote, as similar as two peas in a pod. Tallman was arrested for the murder on a ship bound for San Francisco, but later he escaped and allegedly jumped overboard. He was never recaptured and remained on the run for the rest of his life. Fucker. Coward. I'm pissed that he escaped and they never right? fucking caught him. What a fucking coward. Anyway. All right. So the next hotel is the Barclay Hotel, formerly the Van Nuys Hotel, which is at 4th and Main Street, just a few blocks away from the Cecil. I believe the Cecil is 6th and Main. Right. I think so. Yeah. So super close by. The six-story, 160-room hotel opened its doors on January 19th, 1897. Whoa. And was also, I know this one, I think this is the oldest out of all of the ones that we're going to be talking about. And it was also designed in the bow art style like the Cecil. The hotel had only been open two months when tragedy struck, leading to the horrific death of a waiter named Charles Gamble. According to the LA Times, Gamble was one of two waiters whose duty it is to deliver meals to the various rooms. He was sent to the third floor to get a tray of dishes and returned by the elevator. When the cage neared the first floor, the elevator boy, Robert White, turned the wheel of the lever the wrong way and instead of stopping, the cage started to go up to the top again. As they neared the third floor, the elevator boy reached for the door, opened it, and stepped out, leaving the elevator moving and Gamble inside. Apparently, Gamble became frightened, for he also tried to get out. All right, get ready, people. <laughs> As he stepped forward, stooping, the top of the doorway caught him and threw him forward, the floor of the elevator rising and pinning his legs above his thighs. They snapped like pipe stems, and the machine, still going up, held him by one foot only. Finally, that was smashed and Gamble shot head first down the shaft, striking on the basement floor three stories down. Gamble's skull was fractured and he died at the receiving hospital one hour later. I can't even fucking believe he did not die immediately right. upon falling three stories down and striking his head on the basement floor. Agreed. That is kind of amazing in and of itself. And horrifying. Uh, and horrifying. I apologize. I should have said if anyone has fears of elevators, <laughs> maybe you maybe you want to fast forward about 30, 60 seconds here. Um, I apologize. So over the next few years, more elevator accidents would occur, one of which in 1901 took the life of Joe Cato, a hotel employee who looked down the elevator shaft only to have his head crushed by the 5,000 pound weight. Oh my God. Oh my God. Luckily, elevators are a lot more safe 
since then. But I think ever since I saw the movie Speed, <laughs> I've always been kind of terrified of elevators. I don't know if you remember the beginning of Speed, Mindy, but the before the whole uh, action-packed bust sequence, there was... um. You mean the rest of the movie? Yeah, the last uh, hour and a half or whatever of that movie, but the first part of the movie all took place in an elevator, and that was fucking terrifying. Well, there's a fanta- there's a few fantastic Archer episodes, if anybody watches the show Archer, that deals with elevators. My favorite of which being an episode called Vision Quest, and it's not scary, it's just really funny Nobody gets killed because of an elevator crash. But if you're freaked out by this, I encourage you to seek out that episode because that will make you laugh, especially if you're an Archer fan and it will take the edge off. Just saying. Every time I hear Archer, I just think of M is in Mancy. <laughs> oh, my God. There's so many jokes from that show. But that, yeah, that was that's my favorite. <laughs> It's my favorite ever. <laughs> Bad and phrasing. But I'm going to continue because uh, this is a horror podcast. And so I'm going to keep going. Back to the Barclay. Back to the Barclay. Thieving bellboys and waiters were also a recurring problem at that hotel. Con men and destitute women skipped out on their bills. Guests fought in the bar room. And a knife fight between kitchen staff in 1902 left hotel butcher Evan Roberts dead. I mean, how far is this after like Wild West days? This is kind of just what I picture when I think of like the late 1800s and early 1900s is just kind of more like a lawlessness, just barroom brawls and people stabbing and shooting each other. And then like they clear the dead body out and it's like business as usual. In 1909, Ada Tilt Otis, an athletic, popular Chicago heiress, checked into the Van Nuys. She had recently divorced her alcoholic husband and was in secret agony. Quote, although she had everything money could buy, a friend recalled, she was the most unhappy woman in the world. A few days before she killed herself by ingesting poison in her hotel room, she told a friend, quote, When I got my decree of divorce, I resolved I would never marry again. I tried society, but its vagaries disgusted me. I feel the whole game of life is not worth the candle that it takes. Ouch. Her body was quietly removed from the Van Nuys and shipped east for burial. Like many downtown hotels, the Van Nuys began to play host to more and more lost wayward souls. In 1920, a man attempted suicide at the hotel. So four years later, William Edward Collier fatally swallowed cyanide in front of a hotel employee who was helping him pack. A petition for divorce from his wife and possibly the most vengeful suicide note ever written were found in his belongings. And here is his note. To my wife, Ida Collier, my darling, I go never more to return. Actually, maybe Spencer, you should read this. I will put on my best 1924 accent. There you go. You're a 1924 accent? (laughs) Yeah, that's how I talk. That's not a thing. Okay. (laughs) Please be depressed because this guy was clearly, clearly depressed. No, no, no. This has to be very sarcastic because it's a a very vengeful suicide note. So Spencer. Oh, should I talk a little bit like that guy from uh, American Horror Story Hotel? The guy who built the hotel? Yes, you should. Mr. March. Spencer, I want you to put your acting skills into this for real. Do your thing. Mindy, I'm the, di- I'm the director of Spencer. 
you don't get, you don't get to direct my husband. <laughs> Truer words have never been spoken. <laughs> and action. What's my motivation? Oh yeah. I'm you committing wanna, suicide. You want to kill me. <laughs> or or me. Or sorry, no. I want to kill myself. No, you you killed yourself and you want to make me feel guilty as fuck for oh. doing. To my wife Ida Collier. My darling, I go never more to return. I have done my best, and this is the only way I can give you the freedom you crave. I leave you with your conscience. I wish I could prevent the suffering you are going to have to endure. You can't escape that inner being which will gnaw at your vitals to your dying breath. You made me a cheat and a liar before the world, and I gladly assumed the burden for you. You murdered my soul. Now you kill my body. So, as you go through life, think of the soul roasting in hell because of you. Each night, watch my face float before you, and each day hear the moans of the tormented soul you blasted and sent to hell for eternity. Damn. That's a rough letter. Damn, I feel for Ida. (laughs) That was harsh. That was really harsh. And good job, Spencer. (laughs) That was pretty much a cold read. Whew, all right. Well... I guess I guess Spencer had a, a, a lot to work with. Um. <laughs> hey, it was all written there for me. All right. Um, I feel a little uncomfortable now, but uh. <laughs> that oh I oh did you get confused? That wasn't my letter to you. It was I know it was very confusing. Acting. <laughs> all right. Back to it. So in 1929, the lease on the Van Nuys was taken up by Taken. Now I'm actually adding the G's when I shouldn't. In 1929, the lease on the Van Nuys was taken up by Consolidated Hotels Incorporated. The name was changed to the Barclay Hotel. The name change signaled a new transient era at the hotel, a dingier, darker era of noir occurrences with deadly consequences. In 1937, Elizabeth Reese, a wealthy 71-year-old woman from Akron, Ohio, took a solo trip around the Panama Canal. She then checked into the Barclay on December 29th. A few days later, a maid found her seated in a chair, her skull horrifically fractured. A reporter wrote, quote, a brick was found in the woman's bed. The bed clothing also was saturated with blood and articles of clothing scattered about the room, end quote. Oddly, Reese still wore a large diamond ring and a gold watch sat on her dresser. It is not known if she survived the attack. So weird. So obviously the motive was not robbery. That's sad. And how do they not know if she survived the attack or not? I mean, a brick to the head. Mm. Well, we don't know, I guess, if it's the brick, but I'm thinking horrifically fractured and a brick in the bed might indicate. Yeah, it adds up. Right. That same year, a pretty young woman with a strong southern accent disappeared from the hotel without paying her bill. In her room, management found a paper bag stuffed with clothes and a college diploma. There was also a note addressed to the Barclay staff. For weeks, I've been looking for a job and haven't found one. Now I'm at the end of my resources. No money, no job. I haven't eaten in three days. I haven't any money to pay for this room. Isn't it funny? I have a college degree, and it means less than nothing. Life's like that. Marvelous world, isn't it? Thanks for your kindness. Doris Fowler. 
Fowler was found days later sitting on a bench in front of a gas station with no recollection of who she was. She was taken to the Minnie Barton home for girls to recuperate. That last story is so sad to me because for one, in 1937, I'm assuming it was fairly uncommon and also pretty hard for a woman to get a college degree, but she also got her college diploma and couldn't find a job. And the fact that she probably went through so much to obtain that and then that happened, it just kind of breaks my heart. Just reading that alone hurt me. And I agree that L.A. is a tough town, but yeah, oh, poor lady. Uh, I just want to give a trigger warning for this next story because it is very brutal and it details mutilation and um, assault on women. Thank you, Sharon, for that warning. The Barclay Hotel's next victim was Virgie Lee Griffin. Virgie Lee Griffin was a married waitress with a crippling drinking problem. She met a former sailor named Otto Stephen Wilson in a downtown bar in 1944. Little did she know that the handsome man who looked a little bit like the actor Robert Taylor, Mindy, you know Robert Taylor from such films as Handy Andy, Small Town Girl, The Gorgeous Hussy, and who could forget him in Her Cardboard Lover? Mindy? Anyone? Bueller? Bueller? Oh, yeah, that guy. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I haven't heard. Honestly, I went through his whole list. I think he was in like 70 movies. Never heard of one of his films. He kind of looked like Jimmy Stewart. He was that. He kind of had that look. And this is like basically where the jokes will end with this because after this, this story just is fucking horrific and um, brutal. So little did she know that this man was actually a vicious sadist with a thirst for blood. Wilson's ex-wife claimed that he slashed her buttocks with a razor and licked the blood as he apologized to her for his actions. Virgie agreed to accompany Wilson to the Barclay Hotel, where they checked into a room under an assumed name, Mr. and Mrs. O.S. Wilson, Wilson later claimed that Virgie asked him for $20, which enraged him. But the truth was that he brought a butcher's knife and a razor to the room with him. He had intended to commit murder. He choked her and then indulged in an orgy of stabbing, cutting, and severing parts of her body using the knife he had just purchased. Wilson stated his original plan was to cut up the body of his victim so as to carry it out of the hotel in package form. For over an hour, he sat naked on the bed with Virgie's body and attempted to remove her arms and legs with a razor. When he found it too difficult to carry out his planned dissections, he had placed the severed body parts in a closet in the hotel room. He then left and went to a movie across the street at the Million Dollar Theater where he saw The Walking Dead, the movie, not the um, (laughs) TV show, also on the bill was Return of the Ape Man, but he couldn't stay for a double feature. He had another urge to kill. Eventually, Eva Dunn, a maid at the hotel, found Virgie's horribly mutilated body when she opened the closet. We could probably do an entire episode on the things that hotel staff find inside of hotel rooms, and whatever hotel maids or cleaning people at hotels make, it is definitely not enough for the shit they have to clean up. And literally sometimes it's shit. So 
if you stay at a hotel, always fucking tip, like over tip them. All right, back to the story. So Wilson's second and final victim was Lillian Johnson. He butchered Lillian Johnson in another downtown hotel just blocks away. Not sure what hotel that was. There was no mention of that. Could have been the Cecil. Don't know. Johnson was choked and stabbed just as Griffin had been, but this time Wilson bit off the dead woman's nipple. Wilson's reason for murdering Lillian was simple. He said he did it for pure cussedness. He was arrested on November 16th in a nearby bar. Lieutenant Harry Donlin of the L.A. Police Department noticed that one of the patrons who fit the suspect's description was sitting with a glass of wine and he was chatting up another woman, possibly his next victim. In the man's hand was a book of matches from the Barclay Hotel. That was enough for Donlin. He walked over to the man who looked up at him and said, what do you want? The patrolman replied, this, and snapped a pair of handcuffs on the man's wrist. At Homicide Headquarters, detectives said that when he was arrested, Wilson's hands were found to be stained with blood, and he had a razor in his pocket. Wilson was in custody by 5.30 p.m., and by 7.30 p.m., he had confessed. Wilson, sometimes referred to as the L.A. Ripper, was convicted on both murders and executed at San Quentin on September 20th, 1946. Okay, what the fuck is up with men biting the nipples off women or biting women in general in so many different crimes? It's obviously they have so much rage and hatred towards women that I think that's why they do it. Unless there's some type of um, cannibalistic impulse that they're experiencing as well. I don't know. I've, I've honestly not done much research into mutilations like that towards towards anyone um so I, I i can only speculate as to why they would do it but my guess is just it's the sheer rage and hatred they have towards women we talk about it in our man meetings but i'm not allowed to, to say <laughs> shut up oh, god spencer you're in a timeout that's it <laughs> total timeout spencer the phrase man meetings <laughs> just sounds so bad by the way also, there are probably people who have man meetings, so that's just really fucked up. And Spencer, you're grounded for making that joke. <laughs> okay, so while Spencer is taking a timeout, let's continue. <laughs> After the murder of Virgie Lee Griffin, it all went downhill from there. Like the Hotel Cecil and the other famous single occupancy hostelries in the Skid Row area, the Barclay became a magnet for desperation, addiction, and crime. There were three fires at the dilapidated hotel in the early 70s, one of which killed three residents. On January 25th, 1975, murder again came to the Barclay, room 528 specifically, when a drifter named Samuel Suarez became the victim of a serial killer, Vaughn Oren Greenwood a.k.a. the Skid Row Slasher, who cut up homeless men along Skid Row, hence the name. Greenwood was convicted of nine counts of murder in 1977 and was sentenced to life in prison. The Barclay was granted historic cultural monument status by the city in 1985, but it continues its life of quiet oblivion. It is still a low-income residence, tragically, 
death continues to visit the Barclay. Most recently in June 2017, Los Angeles firefighter Kelly Wong fell to his death during a training exercise at the hotel. Yikes. Last but not least, we have the Alexandria Hotel, which is just a few blocks away from the Cecil. Built in 1905 and opened a year later, the Alexandria was once a hotel to the stars of its time, such as Charlie Chaplin, Douglas Fairbanks, and Rudolph Valentino. It once hosted the most stylish and glamorous Hollywood parties, along with hosting foreign dignitaries and numerous presidents, such as William Howard Taft, Theodore Roosevelt, and Woodrow Wilson. The 500-room hotel at 501 South Spring Street lost its luster and clientele when the even grander Biltmore Hotel opened in 1923. Eleven years later, the effects of the Great Depression closed the Alexandria Hotel seemingly for good. But as many eyewitnesses attest, not everyone left the hotel in 1934. Some remained behind. This once famous hotel has been featured in many movies, including Seven, where it served as the residence of Kevin Spacey's character, John Doe. Um, But it reopened in 1967 as a single-room occupancy, low-income housing, and upgraded in 2005 into loft apartments. Current residents speak of weird and inexplicable things happening at the property. A wing of the hotel, for example, has been completely sealed off with brick and mortar for 75 years for almost inexplicable reasons. An L.A.-based ghost hunter group, the International Society for Paranormal Research, identified several floors of the Alexandria where hauntings regularly occur. These include the basement, the second, 11th, and 12th floors. These locations have been noted by other investigators as well. The second floor's Palm Court, once known as the Grand Ballroom, was registered as an L.A. Historic Cultural Monument in 1971 and is still used as a performing arts center. This seems to be the center of ghostly manifestations when, with the highest concentration of sightings. One group reported seeing many spirited dancers, including a shy teenage girl. Another group suffered odd headaches in the ballroom and reported seeing a woman who appeared in its mirrors. During the late 60s renovation, there were many reports of a mysterious, partially transparent woman in black wandering the halls. On the 11th floor, Charlie Chaplin's old suite is said to be haunted by an angry young man. A floor above, residents speak of experiencing chills in front of Rudolph Valentino's suite. Psychic investigators say channeling experiences are common inside Valentino's old rooms. In the basement is a reminder of the Alexandria's heyday, steeped in Prohibition-era mobster folklore. Ghosts of two former mafiosos, Larry and Gus. Good mafia names. (laughs) I know. They sound really scary. (laughs) Who make regular appearances. Why these and other ghosts continue to appear and haunt the Alexandria Hotel is an ongoing subject of debate. According to some researchers, violent death, cruelty, and abuse can bind a ghost. On the other hand, the late ghost expert Hans Holzer, who served as a consultant on the movie Ghost, said that violent death has little to do with it. He agreed, however, that 
the ghost is in various stages of psychotic condition or they would move on. Really, really quick. There's a show on the Travel Channel called The Holzer Files, uh, where a paranormal team re-examines the investigations of the late Hans Holzer. Season two is set to premiere in late 2020. Just throwing that out there. Have you seen it? I have, actually. All of season one, pretty much. (laughs) Is it good? Uh, It's kind of your average ghost hunter type show, but they do have his recordings, his notes, all of his files. And so that, to me, makes it really interesting and worth watching. Did they talk about the Alexandria Hotel? No, they were actually investigating more homes, like people that lived in homes that Hans Holzer had been investigating because there were reports of paranormal activity. I don't think they went to any hotels, but I'll have to look because it's been a while since I've watched season one. But mostly, yeah, they there were like some homes and stuff that he has crazy audio tape that they've been able to play. It's nuts. Check it out. Cool. Thank you. I will put it on my list. I was just going to say, put it on the list. Put it on the list. (laughs) All right. Um, So many people have said that the elevator in the building has a mind of its own and will stop on floors where the buttons have not been pressed and the doors will open and stay open as if someone is getting out. Then they will close again and the elevator will continue to the floor of the button that was actually pressed. Many people also corroborate that the floor that the elevator often phantomly stops at is the ninth floor, which is where most of the paranormal experiences have occurred. In 2009, an 87-year-old man fell to his death from the building with initial reports blaming a faulty fire escape railing. On August 6, 2013, a man committed suicide by stepping off the fourth-story ledge. He died instantly. One of the new managers at the building also says that a, quote, famous person is known to have died on the 12th floor, although I could not find any information on who this person may have been, so not sure if that's true or not. I went through um, Yelp to look for reviews to find any sort of ghost stories or creepy stories that I may have missed elsewhere, and The only thing I really found, um, the favorite thing that I found was from the Alexandria Hotel. So this Yelp review is from 1126 of 2017. I did edit some of it out um, because it was really, really long and I wanted to get to some of the juicy stuff. Here we go. I moved here the first year I arrived to LA, broke and living off the little savings I had. At the time, there was a makeup of 80% of middle-aged elderly types that seemed down on their luck, and 20% broke hipsters. It was $500 rent with promises of free internet, water, and power, so I figured, why not? I lasted less than six months. In that short time, I experienced weird things. I felt breathing behind me when I would walk through the hallways. My cell phone calls would get interrupted with demonic whispers and screams. I'd see dark shadows, A good night's sleep was out of the question because I constantly felt like I was being watched by something. The shower would turn on by itself and lightly stream at 3 a.m. every morning. And for those of you who do not know, 3 a.m. is the witching hour. It certainly is, motherfucker. (laughs) I never really had paranormal experiences until I lived there. 
After this, I spoke to longtime residents to see if they had any strange encounters with anything. I heard everything between people and dogs committing suicide. Whoa. I mean, sometimes smidge might be like, stop dancing to the theme of Parks and Recs or I'm going to jump out the window. But oh my God, (laughs) do animals commit suicide? Holy shit. I don't know. I hope not because that's really sad. Totally. Maybe they like... I don't know. Maybe there's instances of animals just like running out in the street in front of cars or jumping out windows. I don't know. But that, yeah, that's fucking creepy as hell. You didn't buy the kibble I wanted. I'm done. (laughs) And also stories of Charlie Chaplin's ghost. The Gorbals was a restaurant that they had on the first floor. And one day during happy hour, I saw a lady in a black dress, 1920 style, in the lobby walking towards the elevator. No, I wasn't drunk. (laughs) I immediately told the staff and they told me to Google the Alexandria. And I found that there were similar sightings to this mysterious lady. One of the Gorbel's servers told me that they would hear jazz blaring in the underground parking lot when there were no speakers. The security at the front desk had shown me surveillance footage of white orbs bouncing around in the ballroom and slamming doors. Aside from that, tiny roaches and bedbugs lived in the building. It was too much and I moved out. I don't regret living there because it was the cheapest option at the time and I have this creepy in real life story to tell people now. I can't believe that they lasted there for six months. There was no way I would be able to have stayed there for six months. I was just going to say that six months. Are you fucking serious? I would have lasted six days, maybe. Yeah, for real. And not only that, but like a lot of the other stories uh, or not stories, but a lot of other the other reviews that I read on Yelp about the Alexandria was basically just that there is just full of like shady people who would try and break into your apartment at night and people would wake up to find strangers in their apartment or like drug addicts like meth heads like banging on their doors uh there was urine unknown if it was like human dog whatever feces vomit garbage whatever all over the hallways I mean it just sounded absolutely horrible it sounds like charlie's apartment from it's always sunny in philadelphia yeah exactly (laughs) so that is just a sampling of some of the crazy shit that has happened in some of the other historic hotels in the downtown la area so this doesn't even begin to cover the other hotels in the la area such as the chateau marmont or the hollywood roosevelt hotel which i think the Hollywood Roosevelt Hotel is haunted by Marilyn Monroe's ghost and the Chateau Marmont is haunted by John Belushi's ghost. Oh, right. And Lindsay Lohan's drunken spirit haunts the Chateau Marmont as well. <laughs> Sorry, I can't even say that without grinning and laughing, but she used to hang out there like all the time. We should specify that she's still alive as far as we know. <laughs> A lot of famous people used to hang out there. Which is why we've never been there, because we're not famous. (laughs) Yet. But basically, my question about whether or not the Cecil is just a one-off as far as being the only hotel in the downtown LA area where people are drawn to commit violent or murderous acts, or if it's a gateway to hell, or if darkness is drawn to that specific hotel only, has been answered. It is not. There have been a lot of other horrible murders, acts of violence committed in many other hotels in the area. But the Cecil wins the grand prize for the most horrible acts of violence occurring in one location. There is definitely 
a way longer list for the Cecil than any of these other places. But honestly, with any big city, you're going to find horrible histories of murder and violence. And Chicago is not immune to that either. I mean... No, we are far from exempt for sure. H.H. Holmes's Murder Hotel. And L.A. specifically, because especially back in the early 20th century... It was such, it was this, I mean, even to, to this day, people flock there because they want to get in the business and they, or they want to meet famous people. And there's a, such a wide range of socioeconomic classes from the super poor to the super rich so and anybody in between. And so, yeah, it's a, it's a big city. You've got all that going on. There's bound to be something that happens. All right. So everyone... Thank you for listening. Um, once again, if you are able to, please subscribe to our Patreon. Uh, you can get early access to shows. You can hear exclusive episodes. And you can also receive some cool gifts depending on the tier that you choose. And if you go to Whores Talk Whore on Instagram, you can follow us and get links to all of our streaming locations and our Patreon uh, be sure to check us out on Twitter and Facebook, although full disclosure, I barely use those. But you can email us at horsetalkhorror at gmail.com. Um, I check that every day and I love writing um, back to listeners of the show. I think it's a lot of fun. It kind of it's kind of like having pen pals during this quarantine, you know, and it's actually pretty awesome. Um, and if you're a single guy named Mork or Mark <laughs> and you want to date Mindy, hey. Or, or a single girl named Mork. Or a single. <laughs> or maybe you're named Mindy and Mindy will change her name to Mork. <laughs> oh, fuck no. But sincerely, we, we really like hearing from people who are listeners of our show and who take the time to write us in. So please write us. Absolutely. If you've ever stayed at any of these hotels we talked about today and yes. you want to share some crazy stories with us, send us an email. And as always, thanks, thanks for, for getting, getting creepy, creepy with us. Sharon, do you want a beer? Uh, oh my God.